Well, good morning. Good to see you all this morning. You're actually smiling, looking good. Let's not change that for the next few minutes, huh? 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. We are in a series through 2 Corinthians on learning to be a servant. And over the next couple of weeks, we're actually going to be talking about living a life of generosity. Being givers rather than takers. Even Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And we're going to talk about that and some principles related to that this morning. But I want to first of all direct your attention to the first verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 8-1 where Paul introduces this by saying, Now we make known to you, brothers and sisters, the grace of God given to the churches of Macedonia. Today, rather than actually focusing on giving and finances and generosity, we're actually going to focus on the grace of God. Because what we learn from Scripture, it is out of the grace of God that we are givers and that we are generous. It is only when the grace of God is operating on our hearts can we truly be givers and be generous with the things that God has blessed us with. Which is why can I say We do sort of finances the way we do them here at the Oasis. It's why we don't pass an offering plate. It's it's why you won't hear me uh, from the stage ever trying to urge you to give through intimidation, manipulation, or coercion. Because I truly believe what the Bible teaches, and that is that if God is in something... And God wants His people to rally to do something. And it's going to take financial or material resources that my God will work upon the hearts of His people. And it is out of God's grace working on our hearts that God then will uh, will bring about the, the giving and the material resources that you and I need to accomplish what God's asking us to do. Let me, before I get deeper into this passage today, a passage where I think we're going to talk about God's amazing grace, and we certainly sang about it this morning, to give us a little bit of historical background here. And I don't always do that, but it's very necessary for these next two weeks in the two chapters we're going to be in, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. What was taking place here? was that Paul was organizing amongst a lot of local churches an offering to be taken up by all these churches and then sent to the saints in Jerusalem. Mostly all who were Jewish by nationality. The reason that they were doing this is unlike Gentile Christians at this point, These Jews who had exhibited faith in Jesus Christ were paying a very high price for their faith. Most of them were having their revenue streams either completely cut off or severely diminished because they became a Christian. 
Because as a Jew in the first century, if they became a Christian, many of those who maybe would have supported their businesses or even family members who would have supported them now have turned their back on them. And as Christians, they were financially and materially, physically, they were paying a price for their faith in Christ. And obviously, this then church of predominantly Jewish Christians were also very much suffering as a church because they didn't have what they used to have. So Paul thought it would be a great idea to encourage them to have all these other local churches rally around them, take up this offering, and send it to them. Okay? So that's what 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is all about. But again, the foundation of all of this, notice again in 2 Corinthians 8.1, is the grace of God given to the churches. Which reminds us that God's grace is not just something that He dispenses to us individually. That actually local churches can be recipients of God's grace for His specific purposes and plans and will. I believe right now that the Oasis Church is being a recipient of God's grace so that you and I can accomplish the things that God has for us right now and the things that we will accomplish in the future will only be done by receiving God's grace. God's grace, remember, is not only defined as His undeserved favor, but it is also defined as His supernatural enablement and empowerment to, again, do what He's asking of us to do. That instead of doing it without Him, God's grace enables us to literally partner with God and do it with Him. And what we're going to see in these couple chapters, and I'm only going to make one reference to chapter 9 because we're primarily going to be there next week, and then we're going to move back to chapter 8, is what we're going to see today are all these amazing things that you and I as a church and as individual Christians can accomplish when we have God's grace operating in our life, when we are recipients of God's grace. And the thing is that all of us are always receiving God's grace as Christians. That's never the issue. It's not like God asks us to do something, but He won't give us the grace to do it. The question is always, are we receiving His grace? Are we taking hold of it? Are we, you know, welcoming it and embracing it in our lives so that we can accomplish these things that we should be as Christians? And the first thing I want you to see this morning, because it sort of starts with the Corinthians, is I want you to go over to chapter 9 for just a moment. And I want us to see, first of all, that the grace of God enables us to inspire and motivate other Christians, to encourage other Christians. Because notice what Paul says in the first two verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, It is not necessary for me to write you about this service to the saints, because I know your eagerness to help. Keep those three words in mind. Eagerness to help. I keep boasting to the Macedonians about this eagerness of yours, that Achaia, which is where the Corinthian church was found, has been ready to give since last year and 
Next three words, your zeal to participate. And then notice these words, has stirred up most of them. Paul's saying, when they, these churches in Macedonia that he's going to talk about in just a minute, when they heard about your eagerness to help there in Corinth, about your zeal to participate, it stirred up within them that we got to be a part of this too. We can't just let the Corinthians get in on this offering and, and benefit and bless and profit these dear saints of ours uh, in Jerusalem. we got to step up and do our part too. So he says, when they heard about what you wanted to do, it stirred up most of them. You see, when you and I as Christians and as a church are living by the grace of God and receiving His grace, we literally can be an encouragement, an inspiration, a motivation to other Christians. We can literally stir them up, you see, to step up, to step out, to step forward, and to do the things that God is calling us to do. Now, I do want to make this distinction, though. You notice what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 2? He says, you've stirred up most of them, not all of them. Because can I say, let's say it out loud, there are some Christians, it doesn't matter what you do, they're not going to get stirred up. They're unstirrable. I know that's not a word, but I'm using it. You couldn't stir them up no matter what. So, you know, it doesn't matter sometimes, you know, how passionate and excited and enthusiastic we are about the work of God and helping others and having that zeal to participate and having that eagerness to help. I mean, just like give us something to do type of thing. Which can I say, I see that attitude here at the Oasis. In fact, it was on display even this past weekend when at the very last moment we put out a call out, an all-church call to say, hey, any of you that have, you know, a a Saturday uh, or Friday that you can go over to the building and you can help do some cleaning, we sure could use it because some things fell into place. And you know what? Obviously, many of you are working during the day. You couldn't do it. But some of you stepped up and you went over there and you helped and you did a wonderful job cleaning that building. And I just so appreciate that. And I know that many of you are chomping at the bit to get over there and, you know, do something. Your time will come. We won't always, you know, have these things during the weekday when some of you are working and stuff. We'll have them on the weekend too. It just so happened to fall out that way. But the thing I love that Paul is saying is he's reminding us when you and I live by the grace of God every day, it's not just that we're going to be blessed by, you know, helping others and whatever, but we don't know the fires that we can light in other Christians or in other churches by the things that we're doing by the grace of God. And I've always had a desire that... I want to be the pastor of a church that is not just doing something for God, but leading others in doing it as well. That God has called the Oasis Church to be a leader of other churches, you see. And to inspire and motivate others to get a fire lit under them as well. And that's exactly what Paul says. 
But obviously, that's not the only thing that's evident of God's amazing grace in our life. If you go back to 2 Corinthians 8.1 and 8.2 and 8.3, you and I will see there that God's amazing grace also enables us to live beyond our circumstances. Not just to inspire and motivate other Christians as the Corinthians did, but now the shoe's on the other foot. For this reason, what Paul said about the Corinthians was true. They had made a plan. They had purposed in their hearts to make a contribution to the Jerusalem saints, but they hadn't yet fulfilled that contribution. In the meantime, all the Macedonian churches that had been inspired and stirred up by the Corinthians, man, they'd already start giving and and getting it all together and getting ready to send it. So now Paul is flipping it. Now he's going to, in chapter 8, use the Macedonian churches that had been stirred up initially by the Corinthians to now re-inspire and re-motivate the Corinthians to keep on going with what they said they were going to do at this time last year. And notice how he does it beginning in verse 1. He says, we want to make known to you in Corinth, brothers and sisters, the grace of God given to the churches of Macedonia, that during a severe ordeal of suffering, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in the wealth of their generosity. Then go down to verse 4. Begging us with great earnestness for the blessing and fellowship of helping the saints. Notice something here. He's saying, do you realize, Corinthians, that these churches in Macedonia, that they were stepping up and they were giving and they were generous in their contribution to the saints in Jerusalem. But it was during a severe ordeal of suffering. Many of them and the church itself in Macedonia were going through severe suffering times. Severe pressure time, severe tribulation and trial. And yet they were keeping their eye off of themselves and what they were going through. And they were thinking about their brothers and sisters in Christ more in Jerusalem than they were themselves. And then he says, they had overflowed in the wealth of their generosity. I love those that phrase, but it was... Not because they were a rich church or wealthy churches or wealthy Christians. In fact, Paul describes them as extreme poverty-stricken Christians and churches. And yet they were generous. Doesn't that sort of blow your minds about what generosity means from God's point of view? Generosity... And the heart of giving and helping and encouraging others has nothing to do with how much or what we have to give as much as God is looking at the heart of the one who's giving it. Because God would say, just like the widow who put in her might that Jesus witnessed, if, if I have very little 
and yet I live with open hands as we just sang about and I'm willing to be generous and give with what little I have that as far as God's concerned, that's just as much generosity as someone who's a millionaire ten times over and and gives a lot. Not that there's anything not great about that too, but generosity has nothing to do. So here's where sometimes I think we as Christians, we really are thinking is just not in line with where God would have it is many times Christians go, well, I don't have that much to give, so I'm not going to give anything. Whether it's of their time, their talent or their treasure. And I think God would say to us, give what you have. Be willing to give what you have because, as we're going to learn about next week in God's economics, God can take what little we have and always multiply it. Think of the little boy with the five loaves and two fishes and feeding thousands of people. That principle operates all the time if Christians will have the faith to just do what these Macedonians had to do. I love that. Paul says they were... But they didn't allow their poverty, they didn't allow their suffering to keep them from being generous Christians and a generous church, a giving people. You see, because God's grace, when it operates in our lives, always enables us to live beyond our circumstances, beyond our means. And I love what Paul said too in verse 4. They were begging us, please, let us be a part of this contribution. And you know what, can I say this too to commend Paul and the other leaders who were organizing this? There are some times where I've seen him in my own lifetime where, again, people just sort of dismiss small churches or small contributions or God never does that. I commend them for saying, you know, they could have been sitting in this meeting where all these, you know, leaders are and go, well, you know what, let's not even ask the churches in Macedonia to give because by the time they all even, you know, put in everything that they have, it might only be equivalent to $100 in American money in this day and age. What's $100? These people need several thousand dollars in Jerusalem. But they didn't do that. Because they understand that just like Paul's doing right now, that when they hear, when other Christians hear what the Macedonian churches are stepping up to do in spite of their suffering and in spite of their poverty, then God's going to use them to stir up others and go, how can we not give whenever these poor saints in Macedonia are giving to the other poor saints in Jerusalem? And yet sometimes that's the way it is. There are many people that are blessed materially and physically by the Lord, and they are as generous as all get out. You couldn't meet more generous people than some of them. But there are also some people, some Christians that have very, very little of this world's goods, and yet they're just as generous and just as giving. And there are some people, even Christians, who have been blessed very much physically and materially, but they're stingy. And they're not givers and they're not generous. And that's how we will know, even in our own lives, whether the grace of God is operating in our life. How generous are we? Because Paul says it right there. Verse 1, the grace of God was given to these churches and out of their severe ordeal of suffering and their extreme 
poverty, they overflowed in the wealth of their generosity. So God's amazing grace not only enables us to stir and inspire other believers and to live beyond our circumstances, there's something else the amazing grace of God does, and that is it enables us to give of ourselves to both God and others. Notice what he says in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 8. And they did this, not just as we had hoped, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and to us by the will of God. You see, it's not only important that as Christians, that we be givers, that we be generous, but that most importantly, that we first are willing to give of ourselves, not just out of what we have. And for many, it's easier to give out of our abundant material and physical resources than it really is to give of ourselves. You see. And Paul's saying when God's amazing grace is operating in our life, we will not only be willing to be generous with the material and physical goods and resources that God has blessed us with, but we will also be willing to give of ourselves. Because that's just as important, if not most important, and actually first priority. Because if one's not truly willing to give of themselves, then they probably will be not willing to give of what they have either. And it's easy for us, especially again in America, and I mentioned this last week, where we throw money at every problem thinking that money's going to solve everything. And again, money can solve some things. But there are some things that require us more than our material resources or physical resources. Are we willing to give of ourselves as much as we are what we have? Because you see, in one sense, that's not as much of an investment. I can, I can write a check or I can get rid of something that I have that's excess, that I'm not using very much anyway, and I can give that and not that I'm diminishing that in any way, that gift. That's great. But when it comes to giving of ourselves, giving of our time, our energy, our effort to others, to the Lord first, and then to others, that's more of an investment. I've got to be willing to say, you know what, here's what my plan was for today, but I'm going to give of myself to the Lord and make myself available to Him. And maybe now God directs me over here and wants me to give of myself to this cause or to this individual or to this act of service. And it might cost me more than just material things. It might cost something for me. I might have to lay something of myself aside that was something I wanted to do so that I could do this for someone else. And that's what Paul's getting at, to, at here. But it's only when the grace of God is being received in our lives can we live like that. Can we truly be willing to give of ourselves? And this leads to the next principle. That the grace of God enables us to be like Jesus. Which hitches into the last principle about giving of ourselves. Because who gave more than Jesus did? 
Which is why in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 8, it's actually one of my favorite verses in all the New Testament. Paul says this to the Corinthians, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although he was rich, he became poor for your sake so that you by his poverty could become rich. You see, the grace of God enables us to be like Jesus. What's it mean to be like Jesus? I'm going to concentrate on two things here. Selfless and sacrificial. That pretty much embodies what Paul's saying here in 2 Corinthians 8 9. Jesus Christ sacrificed in order to come to earth, take on human form, live on this earth as a man for 30 some years and be willing to be dismissed and disregarded and all of these things instead of receiving the unending glory of heaven and the worship that he was getting in heaven. It was selfless for him to do that. He wasn't thinking of himself when he left the glories of heaven to come to earth. He was thinking of us. And you and I, even until we get to heaven, we can't really appreciate even what Jesus did for us, even as a Christian. Because we don't even know how, how glorious it is up there yet. We can only imagine, as the song says. But, when you begin to think about the fact that before He came to earth in the incarnation, He was the second person of the Trinity adored throughout eternity. And that even when He was in the incarnation, He never ceased to be God, He just added humanity. But in that humanity, he veiled the independent use of his attributes and, and he, he allowed himself, again, to go from being acknowledged for who he is every second of his existence to coming to an earth where most people just could care less about him. Never gave him the time of day. Even rejected him and walked away from him. Their creator, their sustainer. Their Savior. And Paul says, that is God's grace right there, right in front of us all the time. Being that selfless and that sacrificial so that others could profit and benefit. Jesus did not live for himself. Jesus lives for us. You see. And I love what Paul says. He says, it is through his poverty that you and I, all as Christians, have become rich. And you may have come here today and go, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not rich. Well, I beg to differ with you. Because God's word says that every believer in Jesus Christ is rich. Amen. <laughs> It has nothing to do with what our paycheck is and how much we got in the bank and how much we have saved up for retirement, all that. That you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are rich. And we need to recognize that every day of our lives, how rich we are because of Jesus Christ. The one who was rich and became poor so that through his poverty we could become rich. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians, 
That's a display of God's grace like nothing else could be. That is as clear as it, as it could be. And Paul is saying to them, in order for us to live a selfless, sacrificial life like Jesus and to be like Him, we've got to allow the grace of God to operate in our life, to touch our hearts, to move within us. So that we not only can inspire and stir up other churches and other believers, not only so that we can live beyond our circumstances and not be defined by our circumstances and our life situation, but so that we can also give of ourselves and not just what we have, and so that we can be more like Jesus. One other one Paul talks about here in this passage. Verse 10. So here is my opinion on this matter. It is to your advantage, since you made a good start... Last year, both in your giving and in your desire to give, verse 11, finish what you started. Paul is saying the grace of God will enable us to finish well. That's what the grace of God enables us to do. Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. And Paul is saying, he's saying, look, You guys had great intentions. You said to everybody, hey, we want to be part of that contribution to the poor saints in Jerusalem. Count us in. We'll be there. Or can I even say this? We'll sign up to be a part of something at our church. Did you show up after you signed up? How many Christians sign up for something but don't show up? How many of us as Christians say we're going to do something, but do we really follow through? How many of us say, I'm going to commit to this, but then a quarter of the way in, half the way in, three quarters of the way in, we never get to the finish line, if you will, and wrap it all up. And Paul is saying, If you and I want to be good finishers, if we want to finish things in life well and see it through to the end, then we must begin to learn to allow the grace of God to get into our hearts, into our minds, into our lives and be what we operate from. Otherwise, we'll be just like the people of the world who talk the talk, who tell everybody, here's what we're going to do just like a lot of politicians do. Make a lot of promises to us, but how many of those promises ever really get fulfilled? Or even to this, don't make me a promise if you know you can't fulfill it. Sorry, I'm just... It's the grace of God operating in my life. Finish what you started. So let me say this to us. One of the things that I shared with our leaders a couple weeks ago when we all met was I said, I I feel very impressed as the pastor of this church that I need to encourage us. And I'm saying this to me too. I need to hear this as much as anybody. And so now I want to share with the congregation at large that one of the things God is impressing upon me right here is that This season of transition between Basha High School and our own place is also a test from the Lord. God wants to see how we're going to handle this. 
to see if we're ready for the next thing God has for us. And one of the things I think God wants to see in us is are we going to finish well here before we get started over there? Because you and I, as human beings, we can have something out there ahead of us that begins to capture our attention so much that then we get sort of lax and negligent about what's right in front of us right here. And we miss the moment here because we're looking too far ahead yet. And I think God is saying to us, I want to see you all at the Oasis finish just as strong at Basha as you did when you started eight and a half years ago. I want to see you ring out of these last few months you have there everything you can so that when you finally do transition and I release you from Basha to that new home of worship over there, you're not going to be limping in, you're going to be marching in. You're going to be ready because we're not going to be on a downward trajectory just sort of coasting these last couple months. We're going to be on an upward trajectory fueled by the grace of God taking us there. Because it is through God's grace that you and I truly can finish the things that God hands to us And finish well. Paul was a great example of this. When he said in 2 Timothy. At the very end of his life. Timothy. I fought the fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. Therefore there is a crown of righteousness. Laid up for me. And not for me only. But to all those. Who are loving the appearing of Jesus. That's coming. The amazing grace of God. Let me say this before we wrap things up this morning. Two things about God's grace. One, it is absolutely enough. It is sufficient. God said to Paul when he begged him to take this thorn in the flesh away. God said, Paul, my grace is sufficient. It's enough for you. So I don't know where you're at and what you're dealing with and what's going on in your life, but I know this. I know that God's grace is more than enough for us in whatever God is asking of us right now. It is more than enough, more than a match for what we are dealing with in our life. And the second thing is this. If you and I desire to have more of God's grace, all we have to do is humble ourselves and ask Him for it. Because the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.16, Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace. Isn't that amazing that out of all the characterizations for the throne of God, that the Bible says God's throne should be characterized as a throne of grace? (laughs) Let us therefore approach the throne of grace that we may find grace to help in our time of need. You know the only people that doesn't get God's grace are the people that don't want it. (laughs) That's it. 
If you and I want the grace of God, then we can approach God's throne at any time. Say, God, I need you. I need your grace for this, for that, for anything and everything. And God is so willing to dispense that grace to those of us who are willing to humble ourselves and say, I need your grace. I'm not going to do this on my own any longer. I'm going to do this in partnership with your amazing grace that will enable me to inspire and stir other believers, to live beyond my circumstances, to give of myself, to be like Jesus, to finish what I start. Let's stand and close in prayer. God, I pray today that in this auditorium, your grace is here right now. Because you are here, God. You are in our midst. And the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is full of grace and truth. And so, God, in the environment here, in this auditorium that is filled up with your grace, we have no excuse, God, as your people to say, God, I can't do that or I can't step up. I can't step forward. I, More correctly, it's I won't. Because God's grace will enable us to do what we could never do on our own or of our own selves. And so I'm praying today for all of us, including myself, that as we are sort of swimming in this environment of God's grace this morning, that we would just follow the voice of the Lord in our hearts right now. And maybe even for some of you, that means... You want to come forward here this morning and God's going to give you the grace to step up out of that seat this morning and to come and receive what he has for you today. Whatever it is, God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is enough. Step up, step out, step forward. Follow the Lord's voice in your life. And let's demonstrate God's grace here this morning as we even sing, Take my life, Lord. Let it be consecrated to you.